Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to Fantasy Hockey Life, presented by Fantrax. Here's Jack Hughes and Hughes. Score! Oh, the kid did! Your source of information and analysis to help you win your fantasy hockey league. Barkov has a step. In on Stalock. Barkov shoots and scores! Here's your hosts, Jesse Severe and Victor Nuno. Tennessee Hockey Life, we're back once again. I am Jesse Severe. That is Victor Nuno of of uh, Dauber Prospects. That's right. We're uh, sponsored by Dauber Hockey. Or we're part of their podcast network. We're sponsored by Fantrax. They are the folks who put out this show. And uh, Victor Nuno, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Jesse. We're uh, talking about the Sharks, the team that I've followed for a long time, and it is going to be a little bit sad, but, uh, you know, there's some potential here. So I'm looking forward to that and breaking down some of these teams with our with our buddy Shang Peng. I'm really excited about that. Well, we're talking about the Sharks, so this is going to be the best three hours of everybody's offseason. We're we're looking forward to talking about the Sharks. So Settle in for the next four hours, and uh, you know we're 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 just going to cover everybody on this team. I'm I'm just I'm trying to rile up Victor early early in the day. We got to keep up the energy, however that energy comes from. So yeah, we're we're definitely going to talk some San Jose Sharks, but there's some good things to talk about here. So uh, I don't think you should be too bummed about what we're going to do, uh, Victor. A couple of things before we get into all the goodness that is the San Jose Sharks this week. Uh, you can join our free Discord, but there's lots of people hanging out, doing some chatting all the time. And you can do that by emailing us, fantasyhockeylife at gmail.com, and we get you in there right quick to talk to 200 uh, or so fantasy hockey crazies. Or you can hit us up on Twitter, at fanhockeylife, at victornuno12. Uh, shoot us a DM. DMs are still open. And we can shoot you a link and get you in there. And people keep doing that. I love that. I can't believe people are doing that for a fantasy hockey server at the end of May. But that just tells you how fantasy hockey lifers will act and uh, and what kind of folks we have. And you guys, you listeners are absolutely the best. I'm, I'm knocked out every week by how excited everybody gets about this content and, and just uh, taking a back flatter uh, about everything that people say to us. So uh, yeah, Victor, uh, this is some good stuff today. Um, we also have the Patreon. I think we should mention the Patreon up front this time. Why don't you tell people what we do on that Patreon and what they could check out a little, a little bit of bonus material for episodes like this one. Yeah, there's, there's so much on the Patreon. You get access to our our show notes, which are quite long and extensive. If you've never looked at them, there's a lot of uh, figures and graphs and tables that we put in there. 
to help understand what what we're talking about we also have of course our notes uh, of what we say links to player profiles we have our scouting document which has not only notes of every game from our scouts but video clips that you can look at if you're an ultra lifer and we have our prospect ranking sheet as well which has which i've been updating as we kind of go through the teams here and we'll have more updates 2022 guys going in there and all their peripheral ranks and tiers as well. I don't think you can find that kind of stuff elsewhere, Jesse. Plus, um, there's options like um, me helping break down a team, roster doctor style, um, and co-piloting drafts. There's a whole bunch of options there. Check it out at Fantasy Hockey, or sorry, patreon.com slash Fantasy Hockey Life. And there's a whole lot of, there's three tiers and a lot of options for uh, bonus content that you can get. I even try to take notes during the show. And so does Victor on what people are saying so that we have that. So there's some good stuff there. Uh, I would just ask everybody to check it out. But now it's time to check out some San Jose Sharks. We'll be right back with our special guest. Welcome today, uh, a man who knows the San Jose Sharks, and uh, it's going to be uh, Victor uh, talking some San Jose Sharks. We're both going to ask you some questions, but it's Shang Pang of San Jose Hockey Now. Uh, Shang, how you doing? Pretty good. Uh, Saturday morning here. Uh, the weather's beautiful, and so a beautiful day. I uh, can't complain. All you guys out in Cali, I'm sitting here in Wisconsin, and it's a pretty nice day. It's our yeah, two it's nice weeks yeah. of the year right now. Yeah, it's our two <laughs> nice weeks of the year, so I can't complain. But uh, uh, yeah, yeah. But no, it's always sunny in California, and uh, even though it's usually sunny, it wasn't the most sunny for the Sharks this year. So we got to get into this team with you and, and talk about uh, what's going on with them. Oh, way to bring me down. Way to, uh, yeah. <laughs> It was going so well. <laughs> I'm trying to let you down easy, but uh, there's some optimism, man. We're going to get to the optimism here. Uh, you know, at the start of the year, I, I guess in the Pacific Division, it, it didn't seem like the strongest division. It seemed like the Sharks maybe even had a long shot playoff chance, at least to me. Didn't happen. The Young Kings were the ones in California who took the first step. Uh, Sharks finished a distance six in the Pacific, 22nd overall in the NHL. They had only 211 goals. That was 30th in the NHL. Only Philadelphia and Arizona had fewer. Uh, getting the fourth view as power play opportunities certainly didn't help for them. Uh, they, uh, you know, just couldn't get the opportunities on the power play. Neither did the fourth, fourth worst shooting percentage. I guess one piece of good news, and it surprised me, is Elite Prospects shows the team was the sixth youngest roster in the NHL this year. Now uh, they've got a new GM. It sounds as though the team is. Uh, maybe not looking as hard into a rebuild as some outsiders might think, but uh, let me ask you, Shane, can the Sharks build this team back up into being the traditional powerhouse they have been for so many years without a deep rebuild? What did you think of the season and, and what comes next? Um, <clears throat> I, I think it's possible, but it's, I think definitely in a more uh, challenging uh, route that they're taking uh, a, a no rebuild uh, approach, uh, less likely um, not going to say that they can't do it uh, this way. They can, uh, but they'll need a lot of breaks, a lot more maybe breaks than they might have needed if they had gone maybe with a more traditional. Um, can't really do a total teardown of this team just because of the contracts and the kind of picks and uh, assets you need to attach to the contracts to do a total teardown. But um, a kind of a slow kind of uh, a breaking down, getting rid of contracts where they can. Uh, that is uh, possible. And it sounds like it's 
it's going to be, they're not really thinking that way. Um, they may end up getting rid of a big contract or two here, but then I think the idea though is to redistribute that cap space uh, elsewhere and uh, to make a competitive team. So anyway, can they make this team a powerhouse again uh, quickly? Uh, possible, uh, but not likely. Yeah, I have been very adamant in my feelings about the fact that they should tear this down, but we we both know, Shang, that is not going to happen. They are going yeah. to continue to move forward. Uh, and so we we have to talk about these these players individually and keeping in mind the context of what the team is going to do. And of course, we're going to start with Timo Meyer, who had an awesome season. Uh, and before in the preseason, we do some ranks, Shang, and I had him 63rd, Jesse 83rd. He finished as the 11th best player in fantasy. And going into next season, we're ranking him as a tier one guy, as a mm. as a round of point per game player, but also with those awesome hits that and, and shots that we know for Timo. He finally had that breakout season that so many of us wanted and, and thought he could. And when I was at the Hockey Writers, I wrote a story back in July 13th of 2020 about how Sharks Timo Meyer is a future star. You could go check that out. It, it did not look great the season after that. He went from 57 to a 47 point pace. So it kind of looked dumb on my part. But then Timo totally redeemed me this season with an amazing 81 point pace season with uh, with all those amazing hit shots and blocks. He was he was a absolute star <clears throat> in our bash rankings. And some some things have worked in his favor, like finally getting more time on ice, three more minutes at even strength and finally getting over 50 percent of the power play time, which, you know, ha has been an issue for him not getting that. And he was the number one forward in, in bash blocks plus shots plus hits in, in fantasy. So kudos to, to Timo. But, you know, none of his percentages seem super high. Shang. His shooting percentage his PDO, his IPP, his power play IPP, all those underlying metrics that we look to regress downwards seem like they're, they're, um, were relatively in line. They weren't crazy high. So the question is, is, is this what we should expect from Meyer? Is he going to be around a point per game player, especially with the sharks, maybe not being such a strong team around him. Can he continue this, uh, this toward production? I believe so. And, and I believe that's what actually the Sharks expected after the 2018-19 season where he scored 66 points and they gave him a four-year contract there. They were expecting him to take that next step. Uh, it just took, uh, like you mentioned, a couple of years for him to make that next step. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that uh, that is in line with his talent. Um, you know, Timo is a volume shooter and he was a volume shooter even the last couple of years when he struggled. You know, that's one one thing that you never had to tell Timo Meyer to do, shoot more. <laughs> uh, this guy will keep on shooting. Uh, he I think he may have ended the season with the highest percentage of his team shots, or maybe he's right around there with the Pasternak and Ovechkin. Um, and so that just tells you how important he is to the San Jose offense. And he will continue to be that in part because of a lack of kind of talent around him to some degree, but also too, because Timo is a really, really good player. And so anything short of that uh, will be a little disappointing. I will say, I will caution with Timo that uh, he's not the most, um, He's, he's, he's not the most, uh, you know, uh, how do you say it, uh, pinpoint of goal scorers. You know, he doesn't have a go-to kind of shot if he's struggling, that sort of thing to score. So I think he's going to be a little streaky, basically, is what I'm saying, because he is a guy who will literally shoot it from anywhere at any time, which is a great skill to have. Uh, his ability, you know, the, the, the focus there is his ability to get off his shot from anywhere on the ice pretty much right to beat this guy whoever's on him to get a get a shot off uh but with that kind of approach though you know you can go through kind of these lulls you don't get the bounces here and there and that sort of thing right uh you know timo uh uh 
can you know, he actually that happened to him this past season, right? Mid-season, he went through a little bit of a lull. So that would be my kind of one warning with him. But uh, like you mentioned, though, with his elevated power play time, just how important he is to this team, uh, when he is maybe struggling to score uh, goals a little bit, you're still going to get likely the assist, primary and secondary assist. As long as he can keep scoring five goals against LA every time, I'm 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 fine with that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I actually heard you talking with Doug Wilson Jr. on your podcast. Everyone should go check that out about um, how Timo could help teach William Eklund how to be a little less choosy with his shot to shoot a little yeah. bit more, right? Yeah, Timo has a has a, a youth hockey camp in the summer in Switzerland, and so just an image of a of a. a Willie Mecklen, who still looks very boyish, joining the camp and uh, learning to shoot away like Timo. You know, that's exactly what the Sharks want from uh, Willie Mecklen. Now, I know we'll get to William a little bit later, but uh, William is a guy, according to Doug Wilson Jr., a little too fine, uh, you know, looks for the perfect shot all the time. And sometimes you got to have that Timo Meyer approach of just fire away, you know, where you're at. It's better than losing the puck, you know, high in the zone or whatever. I love the mental image of this uh, really a acute angle way off on the side by the, by the circle and, and, uh, and Meyer going over to Eklund being like, shoot it from here. And Eklund being like, what are you talking about? I'm not going to score from here. And then, uh, and then Meyer putting it in the top corner. Yeah. Uh, or, or Meyer showing him tape. I did. I scored from here last yeah, year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, we could talk about Meyer and Eklund all day, but let's talk about the next guy, Tomas Hurdle, who I had as the uh, predicted the 73rd best forward, Jesse 83. And he, he exceeded both of our expectations being a being finished in 43rd mm. in, uh, in our fantasy rankings. And I have him as a tier two guy. I'm a little bit more optimistic that his points and peripherals can rebound. Jesse has him as a tier three guy. And after hurdles near point per game season in 1819, he's averaged just 66 points uh, point pace in the past three seasons, which is still good. He had the most time on ice this season of his career and a lot of what was likely due to the Sharks needing him in all situations. And he's he's decent for Bash. He has some pretty strong peripherals. We know that he's a he's a strong two-way player. Uh, and, and as I mentioned, maybe relied upon more than it would be nice to be able to. It would be nice if they had, a, a, you know, Philip Deneau that they could... Um, you know, have backing up hurdle that would unleash more uh, of his offensive potential, but that's 31 other teams. Yeah. <laughs> we'll I know. Up. I know. We'll love to know. <laughs> so what do you think? Um, if I put the over and under Shang at 65 mm -hmm. point pace pace uh, for hurdle next season, which way are you going? Well, I would guess with uh, your guys's projections that you maybe were building in baking and maybe an injury for, for a uh, Tom Osherdle, which has happened, uh, uh, you know, a decent amount of times, obviously in his, in his career, if he stays healthy, I would think that uh, 65, he should be able to, to clear that. Uh, but yeah, I think with him, the injury is always sort of kind of possible. Um, but if he stays healthy, he's the clear number one centerman on the Sharks. He has a uh, chemistry with the Sharks top winger and they're paying him to be the number one center too. And he also is good in all situations. So, but he also is a guy that is a little bit streaky. So that's where you got to watch out with him a little bit, but um, yeah, I think 65 is a fine projection for him. Let's talk about the captain, Logan Couture. Last year, coming into the year, Victor and I, Victor had him uh, 89th item outside my top 100 mm -hmm. among forwards. He was actually 53rd, and both of us are looking at him as kind of a tier three guy next year. Mm -hmm. He's 33 years old. He went 23, 33, 56 points in 77 games. He is so reliable as a 60-point pace guy. It's just right on track. 
with the exception of the prior year, the uh, 2021 season, 11 of his 12 full years in the NHL have featured a point pace between 57 and 71 points. He's just Mm -hmm. always right there. Bash is not spectacular, but hits per game, uh, but a hit per game and 2.5 shots per game that let him finish a respectable 52nd among forwards. He's got a lot more time with this team, five more years, $8 million AAV through his age 37 season, a modified no trade and a stated desire to stay with the team. That means the kids in NorCal could probably safely buy number 39 jerseys, I guess, uh, unless you tell me. Until he gets to his mid-30s and they uh, they dump him like they did with Pavelski and Marlowe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Uh, so so I, I I guess for now, are we expecting Couture to just keep on Couturing and do what, he's, uh, what, what he does every year for this team, or you expect something to change? I think so, though. I think the trick, though, for Logan is to uh, hopefully the Sharks upgrade the wingers around him. I think a lot of his production was early in the season. He started the first 30 or so games uh, next to Timo Meyer, uh, who was, of course, uh, uh, having a resurgent season and Jonathan Dolan. And so that uh, helped uh, help Logan accumulate the points early on. But if you look at the last 50 or so games of the year, his most common uh, line mates, uh, uh, his, the most common wingers around him were guys like Rudolph Balzers, Noah Greger, Nick Benino, just not guys that uh, really should necessarily be in a second line role. So if they can find somebody uh, next to him, be it a Willie Mecklen, be it a free agent, be it Kevin LeBanc coming back and uh, playing some good hockey. Uh, they need to find a, a, a better talent uh, next to him, assuming that they keep the hurdle Meyer Barabanov line. And so if Logan, if they can do that for Logan, then for sure, I think that I think he's another comfortable 50, 60 uh, point guy, a little bit like uh, like a hurdle insofar as he's uh, trusted in all situations. Uh, he may not be quite the player that he was, say, five years ago, may have lost a little bit of a step, but he's still a very good player, very smart player, too. Uh, and I think that's one of the things that is underrated about him just insofar as I think he's a guy that should age well just because of how smart he is. Uh, without the puck and so they can compensate for a little bit of a loss in some of the you know physical attributes and so yeah yeah so i i i like him a lot of course with him too uh the way he plays he's always out there trying to block shots uh that sort of thing right he gets hurt a lot that's sort of what happened in the 2021 end of that season we still don't quite know the the injury that was sustained but uh it was sort of uh agreed upon by everybody in uh san jose media cores that media core that Logan was playing with uh, some type of injury uh, throughout the last half of that season because he began that season gangbusters too. Um, And so anyway, that's probably going to happen with uh, Logan again and the way he plays uh, next year. Uh, But yeah, I think, uh, I, I think I think I think he he's going to be a good if he you know is seen sort of like how you guys mentioned where uh, maybe he was a little underrated this past year maybe because of his age and uh, his contract you know maybe he's going to be underrated again uh, this coming year and if he is then then he might be a good pickup uh, uh, you know if he can get him at a good spot. Well, throw a couple of guys at you at once: Alexander Barbanov, Kevin LeBanc. 27-year-old Barbanov was a trade acquisition from the Leafs last year, enjoyed his first full season with 39 points in 70 games. That's 50th on the team for the 27-year-old. Meanwhile, the 26-year-old LeBanc, who's been there a long time, dislocated his shoulder 21 games into the year, didn't make it back. Uh, Old rookie versus a guy who has broken Victor Nuno's heart for many years in a row now. Uh, Who's going to score more points next year? And what do you think the contributions of these guys will be to the team? 
Ooh, that's a good question. I was going to score more points. Uh, I'm going to go out on the limb a little bit. I'm going to go with uh, LeBanc. I think LeBanc is still a more uh, gifted player. Uh, Barabanov is uh, underrated with his skill, and Barabanov fit in great with uh, Timo Meyer and Tomas Hurdle this year. And if Barabanov stays with those two, those are the Sharks' two best offensive forwards. So, and I guess in that sense, then he is likely to outscore LeBanc in that sense. But, you know, things happen throughout the season. Lines get shaken up and whatnot. And so I think the trick for LeBanc is for number one, just to stay healthy. Right. Uh, so I think that's obviously a big part of his uh, lack of reduction. Um, also to the Sharks are obviously lacking on clear top six forwards. And so there is every opportunity in the world if a LeBanc isn't traded by the time we get to training camp or whatever. But if LeBanc is still around, every opportunity in the world for both LeBanc and uh, Barabanov to have top six playing time on this team. Uh, might be a little disappointing if uh, if neither uh, grab spots there. And so, uh, yeah, so I'm going to go on a limb a little bit. Uh, I'm going to, my feeling, uh, my hunch is to say LeBanc, uh, but uh, there's obviously every reason to believe that Barabanov will outscore him this past year if, like I said, he keeps playing with Hurdle and Meyer. So a few other guys, and you've mentioned some of them in passing as having different types of opportunities, different types of impact on that scoring this year. Rudolf Baltzers, uh, Jonathan Dolan, Noah Gregor, Sasha Chemilevsky, they're all, you know, Baltzers, Dolan, and Gregor have amazingly similar stat lines. They're all 23 to 24-year-old. They've all played 61 to 63 games last year. They all scored 22 to 23 points <laughs> on paper. Very similar types of stat lines they put up, but certainly different types of players. And Chmielewski is only 24 games into his career. Any of these guys going to be future 50 point guys? And who do you think is going to be most relevant to the Sharks future? Ooh, um, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I, I guess it's possible, you know, when you're dealing with a team that is uh, lacking in depth at forward, uh, guys get bigger, like Bear Bonoff, right? Uh, get uh, bigger opportunities than uh, you would ever expect, and they flourish with it. Um, so I would say that the most talented offensive guy of the forward that you mentioned um, uh, is uh, Dolan. Uh, but Dolan is probably the guy that it, his overall game might be the most lacking. And so that's why by the end of this uh, by the end of this past season, uh, he was sat a lot, scratched a lot in favor of other younger players for the most part. And um, so there's a little bit of a risk there. But uh, if everything hits, though, uh, Dolan is the most gifted offensive player. I think that Balzers and Gregor ideally uh, should be pushed down in the lineup, more of a third line-ish role, not necessarily belonging on a power play, uh, maybe a second unit power play at best. And so that's that's where those guys should be on a better team. And so if the Sharks do get better this offseason, be it trade uh, free agent as they state that they want to be, they want to make the playoffs next year, then uh, those guys' uh, those guys' roles, uh, you're not necessarily going to see a Noel Gregor playing next to a Logan Couture like he had, uh, like he did most of the season or a lot of the season. And so that's going to, you know, kind of uh, obviously uh, hurt uh, both his stats, uh, Balzer's stats, um, so anyway, so, uh, and then on Chimileski, um, Chimileski is a really, uh, um, wild card, but he's not going to be a 50 point guy. I don't think though, uh, Chimileski has to, um, take another step. He did show, uh, elevated play uh, this past season compared to the year before. Uh, but Chimileski skating is very, very rough. And so can Chimileski take that other step and be a guy like, 
Chemileski is a very smart player. I'll give him that. Uh, but, you know, can he be, you know, you don't have to be, of course, fast to flourish in this league. You know, a guy that stands out in my mind is David Perron, uh, one of the smartest guys in the league, you know, productive year after year and uh, not the fastest skater either, right? Perron is able to think the game, play the game fast. Um, Chemileski can to some degree, but, you know, to reach that kind of heights uh, will take another uh, leap in his development. And I'm not sure if he's got quite that, you know, because Perron is a, you know, you can count on him for 50 points a year. Right. And so it'd be like a guy like that. Um, so I would say if I was to order them, uh, like I said, Dolan is the guy that has the potential, but his game is the least well-rounded, at least based on this past year. And Gregor and Balzers ideally are third line-ish guys if they hit their ceiling. And so those aren't, that's, that shouldn't be a 50 point guy unless it's a really good team. And uh, Chimileski, I'm not sure is in that quite in a conversation yet, uh, but he can get better. He got better this past year. I wanted to ask you a little bit about Dolan because he was so good at the beginning of the season. I remember watching the game where he got injured and I- it looked to me like his shoulder was dislocated. It, it looked really bad and he wasn't out that long. And, but when he came back, he did not look like himself and that kind of persisted. And certainly, as you mentioned, he has some defensive issues, but that wasn't as apparent until he kind of came back from that injury, I think it was in November. So do you have any sense of, of that being a lingering issue for him? Cause that might give us optimism for next season. Um, I don't believe so. I can double check on that, but, Look, LeBanc also had a dislocated shoulder, right? And they shut him down, and he never came back, right? He was actually expected to come back maybe in late March, and he never came back this season. So it's not as if, you know, it's so if Dolan did have a shoulder issue, or he did, but our shoulder, yeah, it wasn't as severe. And, um, I think in a course, obviously an angel season, right? Like you get banged up, you got to play through these injuries. You know, you're not going to be hundred percent in uh, January after playing, you know, banging through 30, 40 games of a season. And so I think the greater challenge with Dolan is to kind of find a consistency uh, that he had uh, early in the season. And of course, granted, he was playing with Couture and Timo Meyer, uh, but anybody, obviously that we can see in the underlying stats, anybody who played with Timo this year, you know, <laughs> uh, look much better playing with, with Timo than than without um so anyway um so i think with dolan the, the bigger trick is to get through the 82 game season and to be consistent uh, every night uh consistent in his defensive effort uh consistent in his kind of his puck hounding uh uh in terms of forechecking efforts uh, even if he doesn't score any points and also consistent in just getting chances uh, which he was uh he was a magnet for high quality chances uh, you know good compliment for that meyer couture line early in the season because you can get the puck into his area wherever Dolan was and he was kind of open-ish and he would get a shot off uh, um, wherever wherever he was kind of uh, situated on the ice. And so Dolan's got to kind of keep doing that, you know, find those soft spots and get, get you know, uh, get a shot off and that sort of thing. So anyway, I, I see that as probably the more likely problem. It is possible that the shoulder was uh, lingering and affected him the, the whole year, but they never, they never, like I said, they never really sat him for too long because of it. And so you would think that they sort of would have if, um, you know, if, if it was that serious and, you know, they even had the two week break too, uh, the all-star break. Right. And he came back uh, arguably a worse player <laughs> from that. So 
yeah, maybe it stiffened up on him or maybe it wasn't an issue. Um, the next, I want to ask you about some of the young players, you know, back in, uh, the dev camp and, and early on in the season, we were looking at that battle for the four C Scott Reedy, Jasper Weatherby. We ended up seeing both these guys, Weatherby had kind of the early lead and then kind of seemed like he ran out of steam at the end and Reedy came on and had some interesting, you know, pretty good efforts here and there. Both of them seem at the NHL level, at least right now, like they're struggling, um, a little bit with, with the pace and, and some of the matchups. And then John Leonard is the third one uh, who John Leonard had, you know, came burst onto the scene in 2020, 2021 and had, uh, you know, people were even talking early Calder, um, you know, consideration. And then he completely fell off to a 24 point pace that season. And this season, uh, two points in 14 games. So between Reedy, Weatherby and Leonard, do you think any of these three get a bigger role next season? And, um, you know, start to, I guess, between the three, who do you think will have the most role and relevance for the team? Well, in terms of the fantasy perspective, I think that uh, Weatherby, I think he tops out as a, as, as a 4C, uh, maybe a very good one uh, eventually. But, you know, right now he's just uh, just another guy at 4C. Um, and so I, I think that he probably has a, the least fantasy relevance. So they do use him on a power play. But again, that's sort of a uh, on a weaker team. He, he, he can be on a power play and that front guy. But on a better team, is he there? Probably not. And so I think that uh, maybe he's not part of the fantasy conversation so much. Uh, Reedy uh, does have legitimate net front kind of skills. Uh, he's shown it in at every level that he's played at. Um, so can you see Reedy jumping up and being uh, at some point a middle six, a third line, maybe topping out kind of player, but with uh, legitimate power play use, uh, kind of like a Nick Benino over his career? A uh, possible. Uh, will it happen this coming year? I don't know. Uh, and John Leonard is kind of an interesting wild card. Um, you know, I, I'm not sure how uh i don't play fantasy hockey so i'm not sure how the drafts work but in fantasy football your last pick i always like to reserve it if it's not for the kicker or the defense i like to reserve it at sort of a a wild card guy that's uh, gonna get uh has a lot of opportunity before him and Leonard can have a lot of opportunity on this sharks team because as we mentioned it's not the deepest uh forward core and he does have legitimate talent um not that he's gonna be a you know 30 40 goal guy but you know can he be does he have a 20 goal talent i think he does have that and so you know will he live up to that well we haven't seen real any real evidence in nhl that he he will yet uh but we've seen some flashes there some uh, real talent uh here and there and and so I, I, I can see, I can so I, I, he can be a good uh, a kind of, a, 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 you know, a last pick of a draft maybe. Um, so anyway, between uh, those guys, yeah, Reedy and Leonard, I think are sort of uh, in the same class. Uh, you might use a, use a last pick on a guy like a Reedy too, though I think Leonard is uh, more gifted uh, overall offensively. Um, Reedy is a guy that needs to play with people that could get him the puck, get the puck to the net where he can kind of do some damage. Whereas uh, Leonard, uh, Leonard can, Leonard can skate, Leonard can shoot uh, from a distance. And so those are, you know, kind of the, the differences between those two guys. Yeah, makes sense. Definitely deeper options for sure. So next we're going to talk about Josh Norris and Tim Stuchel. Oh, wait, no, sorry. Instead, we'll talk about the guy that the Sharks got for those two players and Eric Carlson, who had a bit of a disappointing season back in 2020-21, was even more disappointing, bounced back a little bit um, to 2019-20 form, just under a 60-point pace 
But uh, I'm not sure that above 60 point pace, Eric Carlson is going to be coming back anytime soon. Of course, the the thing that has continued for Carlson since his arrival in San Jose is the injuries. And last season, I had him as the 34th, Jesse 29th player, and he ended up 134th. Part of that was due to time missed. Uh, I'm I'm betting on him to be a little bit better next season, though. I have him as a tier one guy because I think he can be you know above a 50 point defenseman with pretty decent peripherals. Um, but we'll have to see how that works out. Um, but, you know, he's he certainly struggles in a lot of defensive metrics. Eric Carlson does, but his offense sure seems like it's still there when he's firing on all cylinders. And I think part of it might depend on if anything happens with some of the other defensemen that we'll talk about in a minute. Does Vlasic get bought out? Does Burns get traded? But what do you think we can expect from Eric Carlson in 2022-23, Shane? Well, yeah, you mentioned uh, one of those points that there is a potential uh, if a Burns is dealt that Carlson is going to get the line share of the power play time. You know, the, right now, well, uh, by the end of this season, they were sharing the same power play. Uh, but for a lot of uh, this this year, uh, they were, you know, they had uh, one guy had one unit. Uh, and uh, the other guy got the other unit. And so, you know, one guy was usually between Burns and Carlson. One one guy was getting the the shafts for in terms of the better talent <laughs> uh, with the Sharks. This isn't, this isn't the 2018-19 Sharks when they can throw, like, you know, Gustav Nyqu- Nyquist on the second power play unit. Uh, uh, no, you know, this is not not that team. Uh, so anyway, so there is that possibility because uh, Burns is more tradable than Car- Carlson. That just Carlson just ends up being the, uh, the, the man kind of there. And and getting more opportunity. Uh, obviously, you mentioned the injuries, and that is going to be the big question with him. I think too with uh, Carlson, uh, what is underrated. You know, take this for how you will, but uh, Carlson is a guy that um, clearly uh, plays better in my mind uh, when there's something to play for. Uh, just like at the beginning of the season uh, when the Sharks were actually in the playoff hunt, and he started off the season gangbusters. You know, 26 points in 33 games. Some of that was sort of an unsustainable shooting percentage, but uh, he looked like a guy engaged, um, you know, just uh, uh, just kind of all there. And by the end of the season, he was playing, you know, not that he was playing badly. He had some good games here and there, but he looked a little bit more like Eric Carlson from 2021, kind of uh, off and on. And you can uh, you, you you can be very critical about that as a fan, but you can kind of understand, too, why a guy would just be, uh, have a little less of a, I don't know, just a, again, you know, not that not that he was not that he was like outright bad to end the season, but there wasn't a lot to play for. And uh, you can kind of see that a little with him. And so I think that if the Sharks can stay in a playoff hunt and he can stay healthy, then he can pay off for you uh, where, where you, he does have a potential to be. I'm not sure what classifies like a, a top tier fantasy defenseman, but I would think that if he's healthy uh, and the team is kind of in it, that you'll get that from Eric Carlson. You can get that. So the offensive talent is still there. But so many things, uh, so many kind of question marks with him. Uh, like I said, is the team going to be good? Is he going to stay healthy? And so very, very risky pick in, in that sense. But um, but yeah, the, the talent is still there, though. You mentioned the other big defenseman on this team, Brent Burns, and he had another great year in terms of uh, at least fantasy production. Victor and I mm-hmm. guessed, uh, Victor guessed 23rd, I guessed 32nd coming into the year. He was actually the 14th best defenseman, mm-hmm. and Victor and I both going tier two on him for next year. He led the NHL in time on ice, playing 82 games at 26.09 per. Just crazy. 
54 points wasn't vintage burns because vintage burns was insane in terms of points, but it was still the 12th best D-man in the National Hockey League. Number 31 in defensive bash, never really been a big hitter, but elite in the other two parts. I guess on defense, mostly he tries to block the shots because his defensive game, according to Dom Lecision's model, isn't quite elite, but it's nothing new. We kind of know that about Burns, that he's more the offensive defenseman. Led team in power play, time on ice by some distance over EK65. Well, the other guy's contract, probably impossible to move. I think you kind of referred to Burns being down to an increasingly reasonable $8 million a year for three more years. And even at that advanced age, that type of production might be enough to tempt another team. Still very durable, still offensively potent. What is Burns going to accomplish again next year? And will it be with the San Jose Sharks? Yeah, no, I think that's a good question, Mark. I think a lot of it depends on what Brent wants to do because he's 37. Uh, he hasn't won a Stanley Cup. Does he want to go somewhere where he has a better shot to win a Stanley Cup? But if he does go to a new destination that is a deeper team, he's not going to play 26 minutes a night. And so will that kind of hurt his production? Or will his production kind of stay up because he's playing with better players? You know, so that's sort of the the question that you have to ask yourself if uh, you're, let's say, you're you're doing an early draft or whatever, right? Brent Burns is still on the Sharks, uh, but there is that possibility that he could get moved to another team. Um, I do think that there's a fair chance that that he does get moved, uh, uh, just because, again, uh, I would think that if he wants to win, it's going to be somewhere else, uh, at least immediately if he wants to win. And I think that uh, his contract is not that unattractive, especially if the Sharks retain a little bit on it. Uh, just And at uh, just three years, it's not unreasonable for the Sharks to do that. And so he'll be that much more attractive to a team. You know, Brent Burns, uh, three years, 24 million left, or Brent Burns, three years, say 18 million uh, left uh, to a team. You know, it's a big difference, right, for, for a team. Um, so anyway, so uh, in terms of what he will uh, produce, again, it's hard to say again, because again, he can move to a good team that can kind of uh, take away... Uh, some of his defensive responsibilities and uh, let him kind of uh, focus on power play, you know, focus on uh, driving offense. And then you can see kind of uh, his averages uh, pop up again, his per 60. Uh, uh, I can see that his per 60 production, uh, maybe not quite approaching what he did in his Norris years, but uh, definitely elevate because uh, he's playing with better players and he just uh, doesn't uh, need to tax himself as much, uh, you know, uh, killing penalties uh, quite as much, uh, you know, the toughest matchups which he was take which he has been taking on for the Sharks the last uh, couple of years. Um, I will note too that there's a reason why you know you mentioned like he's ahead of uh, Carlson in a lot of these categories is because he's a better player. You know he's been a better player. You know Carlson at his best might be better than Burns, but uh, Burns of course uh, consistently night after night is there. No question about injuries. Uh, you know his engagement. I mean naturally anybody's engagement might go down if you're not playing for anything, but it's not as quite as discernible maybe with with burns uh when uh the sharks are kind of out of it and playing for nothing um so anyway so i think burns is probably going to be a safer pick uh than a carlson um but uh yeah anyway so uh, i i would guess that unless something falls off physically which does happen we see with with players all the time they sort of just hit a wall right in their mid-30s late 30s and there's really no explanation except 
he got old, <laughs> you know, we saw it from recently with Patrick Marlowe, uh, 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 when he came back to San Jose after his time in Toronto, we saw it with Joe Thornton is uh, last season in San Jose, just sort of hit a wall and just kind of no coming back, you know? And so that can happen uh, no matter what Burns, uh, you know, Burns is a, you know, fitness freak and that sort of thing, but you can't uh, predict that. And so it's going to happen to, to Brent Burns, that kind of, that decline, that drop off, uh, that, you know, really sharp, uh, decline that, age related i just can't do anything about um but it hasn't quite happened yet and so does he have another year in him i think he does that'd be my guess mario ferraro another defenseman to talk about victor and i didn't expect much of him this year but he ended up the 44th ranked d-man for all blocks right hockey (laughs) yeah (laughs) that helps that helps uh uh, victor gives him tier three next year 44th in prorator bash, like you said, 17th straight up in block shots in only 61 games. That's crazy. 151 block, 140 shots uh, were great. Uh, less than a shot per game, though, in terms of all the peripherals, didn't uh, support that quite as well. Only 14 points, but his 23 average time on ice was so big for this team in the second straight year with the injuries they dealt with. Looking a whole lot like a solid minutes chomping D-man who is just going to be able to contribute to this team in that way. I don't know. Uh, Mario Ferraro only uh, 14 points this year, but is there a higher gear coming in scoring Chang for the soon-to-be 24-year-old Ferraro? If any of these highly paid defensemen on the team move or is a 25-point pace just going to be the norm for this uh, soon-to-be restricted free agent? Oh, before we get to Farrell, I actually wanted to ask you about, uh, you mentioned the blocks and uh, Nick Menino actually uh, led all forwards in all the NHL in blocks. And so how does, how did he look in fantasy this year? 142nd for forwards uh, oh, okay. in total bash, because part of the issue is that is, is the shots ah, I think, okay. for him okay. and probably the hits aren't as much. So that's okay. why the bash is so good because it takes mm-hmm. all those into account. So mm-hmm. yeah, he does. But but in a categories league, if you only care about one of those, then mm. certainly Benino, uh, people are probably aware of Benino if they're trying to isolate one category. Oh, okay. So Ferraro, uh, they do uh, want uh, uh, him to sort of uh, uh, be second play, a uh, second power play unit guy. I'm not sure if it's going to happen. Uh, his offensive uh, sort of a uh, production and development looked like it may have uh, plateaued a little bit uh, this uh, this year uh, compared to his uh, his sophomore year. But uh, you can see some talent in that area. I mean, he's never going to be a, a PP1 guy, but a guy like, say, a, a Vlasic, right? A, de- a defensive first guy. But Vlasic was a power play guy for years too and was okay at it. You know, a guy that could be on your second unit, distribute the puck, get the shot, uh, uh, get 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 the shot uh, on net for rebounds and that sort of thing. Perfectly fine there. And so uh, can Farrell reach those heights? Um, you know, I think Vlasic was hitting 30 points a year, roughly, right? Uh, I don't know if he can, but I think the Sharks want him to. And if you look at the, the team, uh, if they do trade a Burns, for example, and you're down to Carlson, well, who plays your second probably unit? Uh, you want it to be Ryan Merkley, but uh, Ryan Merkley's uh, defensive game still leaves a lot, a lot, a lot to be desired. <laughs> so I don't know how many more lots I can say. <laughs> but um, 
a lot, so, a lot, yeah. <laughs> so it may end up, it may it may end up being 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 Ferraro there just because uh, there aren't uh, uh, other options on the Sharks. I'm not quite sure, and so that may help him uh, kind of uh, reach that kind of that kind of level uh, offensively. Um, so anyway, uh, I think too uh, with uh, Ferraro, and you mentioned the value that's added by the blocks, and that still should be there because a couple of things. Uh, uh, first, the Sharks are probably not going to be a great team next year again. So they're probably going to be outshot, out attempted again. And so that means uh, more blocks for Ferraro. Uh, Ferraro is a guy that, of course, uh, uh, plays with full abandon and w- is going to eat any shot that comes at him. Um, and that should continue. Uh, you know, he was named alternate captain in his third season uh, with the Sharks for a reason. And uh, the only thing you have to worry about with that is that he's going to get probably going to get hurt, too, kind of like Logan Couture. You know, he's a guy that there's sort of a no quit at any moment, uh, win or lose, uh, uh, you know, 20 points out of the playoffs or that sort of thing. Right. You know, for all still going to keep going at it like the Energizer Bunny. But the problem is that gets you hurt, too. And um so, so yeah, and that's actually what happened this year. You know, Farrell missed, uh, uh, missed, missed, uh, oh, you know what? Actually, I don't know how much time Farrell missed because of a block shot. Uh, maybe not that much time, but still, that's that's going to happen to a guy like him. Uh, yeah, because Farrell missed more, more of his time when he got hit by, cheap hit by Taylor Hall uh, during the season. But anyway, so, yeah, uh, Farrell, though, I think that, uh, I think you can see, yeah, I think uh, he's going to play a lot and he's going to block a lot of shots. And that's, those trends should keep, should continue this season. Yeah, and you already mentioned the next guy we're going to talk about, Ryan Merkley. Many Sharks fans have been waiting patiently to see the 2018 first-round pick with the big club, and they finally got their wish this season. It started off with that COVID outbreak that they had back in the fall, but then he got other call-ups as well. 39 games this season in the NHL for Merkley with just six points. Uh, over 15 minutes time on ice with 34% of the power play time on ice. So not the best offensive opportunity. And the issue with Merkley, as you mentioned, is he's he needs to be close to average defensively in order for him to earn that ice time and be able to contribute offensively. And right now, he is negative two plus standard deviations below the mean of an NHL player in terms of expected goals against per 60. And his course against per 60 is also pretty bad. But also just looking at his offensive numbers, he's negative in expected goals for per 60 as well. And his power play contributions are in the red as well. So his his he hasn't been that offensively creative or dynamic and his defense have been bad. So, you know, obviously he's still young. There's not there's I mean, he's not super young, but he's only 21 and he's only played a 39 NHL game. So it's not like the sky is falling and, and he's a bust, but you know, we, a lot of us have been waiting for a long time and uh, we weren't that impressed with what we saw this season. So do you think, what do you make of his first season? It obviously didn't go as swimmingly as we all would have hoped, but does he still have 50 point pace upside? I mean, a lot of people have been thinking, Oh, he's going to replace Burns, you know, when he uh, offensively anyways, when he ages out, but uh, I'm not sure that that upside is there anymore. Well, I actually would uh, disagree on that uh, front. Uh, well, first on all, a lot of those stats, I mean, yeah, I, I'm not sure how much teams use when they judge players, you know, if they use uh, those uh, those underlying stats, those analytics that you, that you mentioned, but they do cooperate with a lot of the 
the eye eye test things, I guess that uh, that that uh, that I see that other scouts see. But in terms of the upside, the upside I think is there. Uh, you see some of the plays that he makes, and they are indeed plays that very few people in the world can make. Uh, plays that Carlson can make at his best, Burns can make at his best, and you know maybe a dozen more other defensemen in the league or whatnot. Uh, he does make plays like that, and he made a couple plays like that this season. Uh, the problem, though, is like you mentioned, uh, that uh, he is not quite as uh, – it's not that he's not good offensively. He's not consistent offensively. Uh, he still hasn't learned uh, when to – you know sometimes he shouldn't be attacking. And uh, he attacks, he skates into three, four people, loses the puck, turn over the other way. You know, that's that's a problem. You know, sometimes uh, I know it's a cliche and fans hate to hear it, but. Indeed, you know, sometimes a guy just has to kind of go for that single instead of that home run. Right. Just go for the simple play instead of uh, trying to score by yourself or trying to, you know, get your way into the zone to find that that pass. Sometimes, you know, sometimes you do need to just ship it off the glass or just pass it to the guy who's closest to you. And so I, I can Merkley learn that this offseason is possible. You know, he is better than he was. In 2020, 2021, uh, uh, yeah, so he has actually taken a step from that. And so um, does he have the talent uh, for uh, to be a 50-point guy? Uh, yes, he does still. Uh, but, you know, will he reach that consistently enough at an NHL level and consistently enough and not hurt the team defensively that coaches will keep him in the lineup? Uh, I don't know. Uh, yeah, that's that's a big question, uh, I think, with Ryan Merkley. Uh, but, you know, I've uh, mentioned uh, uh, I mentioned before this season uh, that I always saw his sort of his ceiling as a, a Eric Gustafson and uh, Eric Gustafson, you know, pretty good fantasy guy, I would assume, right? Uh, at least for a couple of his prime years, right? But not much good to you if you want to win games. <laughs> and so that may end up being sort of a Ryan Merkley ceiling. So uh, and Gustafson did score 50 plus points, right? So uh, so I can see Merkley kind of uh, kind of uh, being in, along that track of these. Merkley is uh, and still is uh, very gifted offensively. Um, but, uh, well, other things round out in terms of his offensive consistency, like I said, uh, being better with the puck, uh, making better choices there and just being all out better defensively. I don't know if it will be good enough uh, for him to, uh, to be a consistent kind of, uh, a 50 point guy in terms of his playing time and, and whatnot, but he can still do it though. Um, yeah, I mean, he's, uh, really not the, the worst deep guy because again, especially if the sharks do trade a burns, um, and I assume that they're not going to get back, uh, a minute munching guy like burns back because why would a, a good team trade, uh, a, you know, a younger <laughs> version of, of a minute munching Brent burns for the older version of Brent burns. Um, so, um, so there may be huge opportunity on a San Jose blue line still. And, uh, you know, a lot of the bad things you hear about Ryan Merkley on the ice, I'm just streaking on the ice stuff, right? Uh, uh, it's accurate. <laughs> you know, you know, uh, he has a lot of flaws with his on the ice play, but the very high, the very, the, of his ceiling is present still. And there may be a lot of opportunity on the San Jose blue line this coming year. And so that sounds like a kind of a perfect sleeper, but again, going back to a, a fantasy football, uh, language, because this is something that, that I know, um, 
make you know, you, you you take your sleeper, your wild card pick with the last pick, and then you cut them uh, within a couple of weeks, you know, <laughs> of the season, just because. Well, you know, it it was a good idea, but it, it you know he's you know it 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 was it hasn't been working out, and so I could see that kind of being being a Merkley. You can tell within a couple of weeks, hey, this guy might you know this guy's got it this season. Uh, that was a nice last pick I made, or well, damn, you know, I should have uh, picked somebody else with my last pick, but. That's right. Well, uh, the crazy types who listen to this show, Shang, they're they're playing in like the twenty team leagues with uh, super deep rosters and yeah. fantasy football. He's, he's, and there, yep. Merkley, uh, you know, he you could hang on to him, but yeah, in a shallower league, he might he might be just a swing. See see sure. what you're going to get for him. So definitely, definitely. Well, well let's talk about it. Especially if Burns goes, they're going to need more D men on this team, and mm-hmm. they've got a few at the depth level. And we're wondering if the Jake, uh, the next Jacob Middleton is down there somewhere, not necessarily stylistically, but sure. somebody who who comes out of nowhere to be a top four guy. So you got Santeri uh, Hatika, uh, you got Jacob Megna, and you got uh, Nicholas Malash. They're all three young sub million dollar D men mm-hmm. who maybe needed to balance dollars with their more expensive teammates who aren't coming off the books anytime soon. Uh, is there among these types of guys uh, even a half point per game? player ready to emerge Ooh, half point per game <laughs> i thought we we're just talking about playing time because a middleton is not a half point per game guy <laughs> so playing time too whatever you see there um I think I think in terms of playing time, obviously uh, a favorite to take up uh, 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 Middleton's ice time is uh, Kanijov. Uh, just because Kanijov was doing that uh, a couple, uh, Nikolai Kanijov, uh, a couple of 2020, 2021 uh, before uh, he got hurt and didn't play at all this season. And so he's he's a guy that I think uh, I think can be right there. Um, I think. Uh, Hadika has sort of the highest ceiling among uh, Megna and, and Malash, um, but also not a huge offensive ceiling, but he does uh, have a sort of, a, you know, if he makes a big leap right now, based on this past season, uh, uh, Hadika is a, is, is a worse defenseman than Malash and Megna, but uh, will we say the same thing in training camp? Uh, maybe not, you know, and so we might see that with, with Hadika. And Hadika does, is actually a very good skater in that sense. He might be useful offensively just in that really kind of singular sense. Uh, I don't know if he has much more offensively than that in terms of vision and that sort of thing, but uh, even that ability could make him useful eventually on a second power play, you know, just to help carry the plug, the puck up. And he may just get some, some points, you know, by osmosis that way. And uh, so uh, half a point though, I don't, I'm not really seeing that with, with anybody here, but in terms of just like playing time, um, I would say uh, the surprise guys uh, could be Kanijov or Hadaka. The same guy is Magna because Magna indeed this past season was playing about 20 minutes a night but on a better team should he be doing that mm, I don't think so uh but uh uh you know he's the safest guy I guess for uh for that and I guess you know maybe his uh, bash stats would be should be decent too so I love me some Santeri Hataka I hope he emerges as that uh, but yeah good insights there let's move over to the goalies and they have a kind of a mess here, Shang. Um, it was kind of a fun move that they made to acquire Kakanen, but now they have, 
you know, three goalies that, um, well, Kakanen's an RFA. I, I am assuming they sign him and don't move on from him, but mm-hmm. they will have three goalies that they have to figure out what to do with. So either they rotate with a three-headed monster or they um, trade one of them. You know, Reimer, I was kind of surprised that they didn't trade at the at the deadline. I thought it could be useful for a playoff team, but I've also heard you and others say that they, you know, think he's their best goalie and has a good chance of uh, contributing next season, and he is signed for one more season. So that's probably part of it. Of, of course, Hill was... Uh, acquired for a second round pick, which uh, would would be nice to have uh, right around now because that pick's going to be pretty pretty nice. But he was pretty disappointing this season. So why don't you tell us what you think about the goalies? What's going to happen with the three headed monster in San Jose? Who's who's potentially not going to be here, and and who is going to be probably the 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 one who plays the most or shares the net um, next season? Well, they won't uh, have three starting goalies to start next season unless. Aiden Hill is like on LTIR or something like that. And so that just makes uh, zero sense. Um, so, yeah. Uh, so in terms of who they move, um, I think they would have moved Reimer if they got the right offer. I don't think they got the right. Off- I'm just guessing. I don't know that for a fact, but I'm just guessing they didn't get the right offer for him, whatever they thought that that, that he uh, could be worth uh, uh, playing, you know, as well as he did this season. Um, so uh, anyway, um, what happens the next season? Well, Reimer was your your best goalie this year, true. Uh, but goaltending is sort of a fickle thing. Uh, there's a reason why Reimer uh, was signed to a bargain to your contract because he wasn't that great in Carolina. And so, you know, could conceivably uh, Kakinen and Hill be your best goalies next year? Why not? You know, they I think they have the talent, both of them, to to do that. And so anyway, uh, so I don't think I guess what I'm trying to say is that uh, just because Reimer was the best Sharks goalie this year uh, doesn't mean uh, that he will be next year or there's that kind of that guarantee. He has that security that the Sharks won't will keep him. Uh, I think that. The Sharks may weigh, again, the offers that they get for him uh, this offseason. If they find the right offer, then uh, they can, if Hill is healthy, then I, I think they, I can see them being comfortable rolling with uh, Kakadin and Hill and just hoping that Hill kind of has a bounce back here. Um, so th- it is kind of hard to say. I guess the safest guy there is probably Kakadin because if they traded for him at a trade deadline, he traded a pretty good player in a Jake Middleton, a guy that had emerged, even though he was previously an AHL journeyman, but had emerged as sort of a, a possible legit top four defenseman. Uh, unlike, say, a Magna. I mean, again, you know, both have similar backgrounds and profiles and sort of being AHL journeyman. But if you just watch them on ice, Middleton is a better player. Just, you know, so... Uh, so, so, so for them to trade a Middleton, uh, for, uh, for a Kakinen, you know, that suggests internally that Kakinen's level should be a little higher and that they're not likely to, to, to part with him, uh, this off season based on talking with, you know, did a podcast with Mike McKenna, uh, who's as smart, uh, about goalies as anybody being a former goalie himself, uh, 20 year or so professional goalie, um, and he said, for sure, Kakinen has the highest ceiling of these three goalies, and Kakinen is young. And uh, Kakinen uh, is an RFA, but his contract should come in just because he hasn't done uh, he hasn't, you know, been a full-time starter yet. So his contract should come in pretty reasonably, not that far from what Hill or Reimer are making now, but at about two million per. And so there's every reason in the world for them to keep Kakinen. Um so between now, now we're talking about Reimer and Hill. And if you trade to Hill, it's going to be at a loss for sure. You've lost that second round pick. Um, no one's giving you back that 
second or anything close for, you know, Aiden Hill that played one game uh, uh, in the last three months of the season, basically. Uh, so maybe they take that loss and they go with sort of the veteran security blanket, uh, amazing locker room guy like James Reimer uh, to you know, go in with Cacton and Reimer. That's possible. But then if someone dangles, let's say a uh, second round pick or something like that, you can recoup that second round pick that you lost with Aiden Hill uh, for James Reimer this off season because Reimer, you know, the, the beauty of, his contract you know uh he signed a, a not great contract because he didn't play uh great in 2021 but uh because he played so well for the sharks in, in uh this season suddenly, suddenly his contract his contract looks like a bit of a bargain and so that might be attractive to a team that uh wants some goaltending insur- uh, insurance and you know be kind of i don't think anybody sees Reimer as a true number one uh but could he be a 1b uh you know really nice insurance policy if your number one uh is you know gets hurt or whatever whatever, uh, or has a tendency, I guess, to miss games, maybe like a Robin Leonard in Vegas, for example, right? Uh, maybe that could be attractive to them. I know they have a uh, Brossois there, but uh, Brossois uh, missed some time this year. Um, so anyway, if you get the right offer for Reimer, I can see him uh, going. And then, of course, that will probably really uh, hurt his uh, fancy value because if he's traded, it's probably... I, again, I don't think he's seen as a true like elite. Uh, you trade him; he's your number one goalie for sure, kind of guy. And so, in that case, wherever he goes, he's probably gonna get less opportunity, and that's gonna hurt his value. So, uh, if you're gonna pick a Sharks goalie, uh, the safe choice would probably be a uh, Kakinen. Tremendous. Well, you've given us some great insights on the San Jose Sharks team, and uh, I'm excited to see what happens in the offseason. It could be a very interesting offseason mm-hmm. for the team. So why don't you tell us where we can keep up with your work and how people can follow you on the social media and such? Yeah, uh, thank you. Uh, you can uh, uh, find me on Twitter at Shang underscore Peng. You can find all my work at San Jose Hockey Now. That's my website uh, or at NBC Sharks. And uh, you can also uh uh, find my podcast too, the San Jose Hockey Now podcast uh, that you uh, mentioned that we just talked with uh, Doug Wilson Jr. Uh, this past week. Uh, mentioned a really great interview that I did with Mike McKenna, uh, breaking down the Sharks, a three-headed uh, a goaltending monster there. And so, yeah, out the San Jose Hockey Now podcast. Tremendous. Well, everybody should go out and do that. Keep an eye on, uh, keep an eye on the Sharks. And keep an eye on Shing's work. Thank you so much for coming on with us today. Thank you, guys. Weaves his way through neutral ice, being over the line, dangles his way through, being a dish. San Jose Sharks goalies now, and we are going to start with their newest addition, Capo Kakinen. Bit of a surprise move there at the deadline for the Wild to bring in breakout stay-at-home defender Jacob Middleton, who the Sharks basically got for free, uh, to bring in the goalie. They they definitely need some help in goals. So it seemed like Kakinen was a bit much to pay, but he's been pretty good at times. uh, And other times he seems like he struggled a bit. But if you combine all of Kakinen's NHL game, 66, at even strength, he's still a negative 0.6 Delta Fenwick and a negative 12.63 goal save above expected. Though we've seen him win nine games in a row back in February uh, to March of 2020 with the Wild, he looked unbeatable at that at that time. And I watched him pretty closely for my Sharks in these games. Of course, the Sharks are a pretty awful team, so they hung him out to dry a lot. But he seemed like he got a little bit more confidence, a little bit better 
And maybe with this new organization, he feels like he can actually be the guy, be the starter. So do you think that that's uh, something that he could achieve? Could he be the true, you know, stud starter or more like a one a, or maybe even a one B what do you think about Kakanen? Um, I think that he'll end up as the starter in San Jose, um, unless they try and make a move, but I'm not really sure their, their state, they, they seem to really kind of just be in that. We're not like a horrible hockey team. Like we're not going to be lottery contention right now, but cause like I, they, I see some pieces there with like hurdle and Meyer and, um, stuff like that, that keep them kind of floating above water, but you know, they're not playoff contenders or cup contenders, obviously. And so that leads me to believe that Kakinen will be the starter. Cause I don't see them bringing in anyone that can really, um, you know, take the position and run. Um, overall, I don't like really see Kakinen turning out to be some stud all-star goaltender. Um, I think like if they do become a, a better hockey team and pieces around them improve them to be a playoff contender. Then Kakinen fits as a one, a one B guy, um, a good, a good scenario where it's like a 60, 40 split type uh, thing. And, and Kakinen could be on either end of that um, depending on who the other goalie is and whoever gets hot. I think that Kakinen, and I think this would probably be backed up. I don't, I know he wasn't brilliant in Minnesota, but him and Talbot, were were a good solid um duo in in the wild crease like they weren't all stars by any means but they were a good duo and Kakinen was that 40 guy whereas Talbot was like 60 might have been 70 30 I'm not exactly sure but um and he he played I I mean maybe his advanced stats weren't perfect but he fit into that role I could see the same thing in San Jose yeah, definitely. So starter on maybe a bad team, but more of a one A one B on a good team. I, I, I kind of agree with that. I don't. I never really saw him as as the guy, which I guess in that sense makes sense for Minnesota. Although I feel like they could have gotten a better return than Jacob Middleton. But what am who what do I know? The next guy we have to talk about. I, I guess we don't have to, but we're going to is James Reimer, and <laughs> super surprising to me that he had such a great season and that also that the Sharks did not trade him. I mean, they've talked so much about how they want to compete next year and how they feel like James Reimer gives them the best chance. And he certainly was the best goalie, you know, for the majority of the season in San Jose when he was they at least gave them the best chance to win. He wasn't the best by numbers. He had the negative 0.8 or negative eight goal save above expected negative 0.47 Delta Fenwick. So those numbers weren't uh, that great, but you know, he's back for his second tour of duty with the sharks. He was with them with the cup when they went to the cup final in 2016. And, you know, he, he definitely battled and, and the guys love him and they thought he had to give them a chance to win, but he's, you know, he's older 34. He's got one more year. And um, it, they have a three-headed monster going into next year. So they seem like they don't want to trade Reimer, but it sure seems to me like the right thing to do. But regardless of where he goes, tell us what you think about Reimer, because he was a guy for a long time that was just kind of like a 1B sort of guy, maybe a 1A. Um, whenever he got the volume, he never really did that well. But, you know, he did okay this year. And in a points league, he was he was certainly valuable as a guy who started a lot of games. He started... Uh, or appeared anyways in, in 48 games. So that's a good amount. What are your thoughts on James Reimer? Uh, yeah, the one piece I took away from um, what you're saying is is the guys liked them. They went to battle for him. And I think that's 
kind of an overall reflection of James Reimer um, as a goaltender and as a person. Um, I've always good things about him. And when he's in the net, I mean, he's, he battles, you know. Um, you never see a lack of effort or a lack of focus or anything like that. Um, he's been through a lot in his hockey career. Um, it seems like he's been around quite a, for a long time, um, bounced around with teams. And I feel like he's always just been kind of in like – a tough position and never really been able to um, show his full potential or, you know, if it is full potential, like he's not in a situation where he's going to be able to play at the, uh, like a cup contending team or anything like that. He's just kind of always, you know, on a middle end team and he's, he's working his hardest, playing well, but um, you know, he's just not quite good enough to be the, like a star of the league, but um, I, I see him there in San Jose kind of just, you know, story of his career. Like I was just saying, um, he'll stay there. And then as they go through these rough patches, he'll be the goalie that has to kind of be the um, test dummy, you know, the guy that's taking all the rubber, taking all the shots, but um, they're not really, I don't see them like going anywhere, but he'll be the kind of the guy that gets them through it. Yeah, that makes sense. The guy that I think is going to be the odd guy out, the guy who I would have never traded for in the first place, but I think they might trade is Aiden Hill. And Hill's numbers were pretty disappointing this season, especially the cost of acquisition being a second round pick, which is going to be a pretty, pretty good second round pick considering where they're drafting this season 11th overall in the first round. Hill was limited to 25 games. He had, he battled injuries. Um, but if you just looking at his seven seventy NHL game sample, negative 0.16 Delta Fenwick, negative 3.57 goal save above expected. Seems a little bit better than cocking in with those numbers, but I'm just not sure the upside is there. And we've seen a lot of inconsistent play with Hill. So what do you think his potential is, whether it's in San Jose or whether he gets moved? Does he, does he have starter upside or is he just more like a one, a one B kind of guy? Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't see him as a starter. Um, I mean, I know he's been on a couple of bad teams, coyotes and sharks, but, um, like you said, the inconsistency, like goalies don't always play good on bad teams. Like sometimes the goalies are at fault as well. You know, like that's, it's you, a lot of times you do see upside and showing a goalie on a bad team, but, um, with with all due respect to Aiden Hill, I'm not like I don't really see that, and then I just see him as a guy that's, you know, maybe a one A one B guy on a bad hockey team, but probably wouldn't be able to fit into a pardon me a one A one B role with a team that's contending or trying to make a playoff push. Yep, I wish they had that second round pick instead. But uh, anyway, so let's. The other guys I just wanted to mention, Zach Sachenko and Zach Iman, both Zachs. I've been pretty equally unimpressed with these two, but Sachenko did play a few NHL games and he even won one uh, out of the 32 the Sharks won this this season. Uh, but I still not sure his upside is super high. Iman, on the other hand, was uh, had pretty high expectations coming out of the queue, had a really great season in his draft season, or maybe it was D plus one. I can't remember. But then he couldn't really hack it in the AHL and got sent down to the ECHL, which really didn't go well either for him. But I'm not sure that either of these guys are really someone that we're going to want to hold on to in Dynasty. Are either of them someone that you're kind of excited about between Sachenko and Iman? Um, no, I, I 
I got, I, I don't really have anything else to say other than no. Um, Sochenko is a cool story though. Cause um, I remember he played in the U 18s for Canada. And um, so he was like kind of a, a higher end prospect. Uh, and then he ended up taking the Canadian college hockey route, which is like, I feel like not rare, but like unusual for a goalie. Um, so, I mean, I do like Sochenko as a goalie, but I don't see him having like any NHL upside or anything like that. Um, Imon, yeah, he's, he struggled to kind of find any sort of groove at the pro level. Um, or he's just, just simply not, not good enough. I'm, I'm not, it's one or the other. And, um, I, I yeah, unfortunately, I just don't see anything really panning out for either one of those guys. Yep. Well, we have to ask about Benjamin Goudreau, who was someone that we were pretty excited about. You know, he he lost that OHL season and performed really well at the U18s. And probably their best goalie prospect, especially after they traded Melnichuk. Uh, after raising, uh, he raises draft stock, as I mentioned, but he, he sort of seemed to struggle a little bit this year for Sarnia, which was not a good team. And he got really peppered um, with shots. Eight and eight ninety one save percentage and three point seven one GA in forty four games. Though in the six playoff games they had, he was pretty awesome. Um, and Windsor was just absolutely um, demolishing them with shot chances. Looking at his hockey prospecting, it's kind of low. Only nineteen percent chance of being an NHL starter. Kind of looks a little bit in the model like Patrick Laleem, who obviously turned out to be pretty good, but. Um, Tell us about Goudreau. Has he just been a victim of being on a really bad team and still has a lot of potential, or is it maybe he just got overhyped by that one tournament performance? Yeah, Goudreau was a tough, uh, tough guy to evaluate because um, you're right. He lost the OHL season. Uh, he performed well with Canada, the U18s, and that was um, – I, I did see a lot of people have him as a first-round draft prospect um, for the draft last year. Um, and a lot of people are kind of hyping up the fact that we could have had three first round boys. Um, I didn't see it. I think the third round was a, a good spot for him. I thought a team might go for him in a second. And so I didn't really see him as anything higher than that. Um, and that's mostly due be- to the fact that he didn't have a lot to evaluate from. Um, I think we did see the raw potential that he had um, at the U18s. Um, but it's tough to base a goalie's whole entire draft position on a seven game, uh, seven game spread. And uh, I think he played five of the seven or six of the seven. So it wasn't even all seven. And um, he was also on a very stacked Canada team. So there was a, him as a prospect. Um, I think the third round was a good spot for him to go. I think any lower than that um, would be considered um, a really good pick or I guess you could say steel, but I think that kind of gets over overused. Um, but he's he's got the raw skills, the raw potential. I just think, yeah, um, the loss of the season and maybe a little overhyped just based because he was the starter and the gold medalist for Canada. Um, and now that combine that with the fact that he's on a very bad Sarnia team, it's just it's kind of tough to really see where he he stands as a prospect. Um, I think next year be a much better uh, tell-all and I think he'll be a candidate for Canada's U20 World Junior Team so that will be an opportunity for us to get to see him um, if he can make it um, to, to see kind of where he's at yeah definitely he's uh, 
He's still 19, won't be 20 until January 11th of 2023. So we'll see about Goudreau. The we we had to sneak this one in under the wire too because the Sharks drafted Strauss Mann, and he was an undrafted six foot goalie who went the college route after the USHL. He looked good at all levels. He looked good, really great in his high school and then USHL. I guess he struggled a little bit his first year at Michigan, but then was awesome the last two at Michigan and. No one offered him a contract, so all he did was go over to the SHL and perform very admirably, I'd say, for Sheleftia AAK, 914 save percentage, 2.19 GAA, and was even better than that in the playoffs, the two games that he got. So, you know, he also played at the Olympics for the Americans. Uh, wasn't necessarily his fault. I mean, he he did pretty well, but he definitely, um, you know, let in a couple of soft goals, but also that American team wasn't, wasn't great anyways. They weren't going to go all the way. So it wasn't really all him by any means, but did the Sharks get a, a steal here by signing Strauss man, or, or is this kind of just uh, probably not going to amount to much and probably won't be their guy moving forward? <clears throat> um, no, I mean, I think it was definitely a good signing. Um, obviously that doesn't become like an official uh, good signing until he shows up into the NHL and plays a couple games and proves himself. But um, if I'm not mistaken, he's playing at the world championships as well. I know they have a couple other goalies there. Or I think he is kind of the guy. Um, I haven't really been able to watch a whole lot, but um, USA Hockey thinks highly of him. They brought him to the Olympics, they're bringing him to the world championships. And um, I know a lot of North American um, uh, scouts or uh, media people thought highly of Strauss Mann as a free agent last year after being Michigan, a lot of people were shocked that he didn't get signed. Um, maybe it was just some questions because he was on a good Michigan team or um, I, I truthfully don't know. I thought for sure that NHL teams would sought after him a lot and want to sign him. But uh, I think the Sharks jumped on it a lot, a lot faster this time around um, when he, was finished with his SHL season. Um, like it happened super quick after his season ended. So um, good signing. And I think he's going to be getting an opportunity, especially with the Sharks not being um, a playoff contender or anything like that. I think he's going to have every opportunity to go in there and take the net. Yeah, you're right. He is at the World Championships. I was reading this wrong. He struggled a little bit more of the World Championships. At the Olympics, he was really good, but only played two games. Oh, okay, okay. So, yeah, good call there. And, yeah, thanks for your takes on the Sharks goaltending. We'll be back after this short break. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Dynasty Dig, and it is the San Jose Sharks Dynasty Dig. Moreover, let's talk about this team. They've got the 11th pick in the upcoming NHL 
entry draft. They're missing their second rounder from last summer's Aiden Hill trade, believe it or not. Hockey prospecting has the system ranked 14th overall, but keep in mind, Ryan Merkley, who's already been discussed in our pro section, is significantly juicing the average on that. So presumably, it's just a touch lower than that once uh, you reflect some of these guys coming off the books, but that's got to happen to other teams too. I I have no idea, Victor. There, there's no way for me to know who you're going to cover as the no-brainer here. Um, I, I, I suppose it's just going to be somebody I've never heard of, right? It's the guy whose jersey I'm wearing that I won in a bet with our buddy <laughs> Brett Duboff. William Eklund, of course, of course, it's William Eklund. And yeah, I'm taking all the opportunity I can to talk about one of my favorite young prospects. He had a rough season, though, did Eklund. He had very little to work with for his SHL team, Drew Garden IF, and so much so that they were pretty easily relegated to the Elsvenskin. So he will most likely not be with them when that happens, but it was, it was disappointing. The team offensively struggled and they were led by offensive luminaries like Marcus Sorensen and Eric Jelinas. One of the things that happened is that Eklund was asked to play a more defensive role, more of a three C to limit the opportunities against for Drew gardens. And this defensive tether had him finish 16th in points per game on the team, even though he was fourth on the team in time on ice. But again, part of that was his deployment. So this could certainly be viewed as a downtick for his projection, but I don't think so given the context. He's still a dynamic and creative player uh, that he's always been. And, you know, I was referencing this earlier when Doug Wilson Jr. talked about it on Sheng's podcast, San Jose Hockey Now, how Eklund always tries to make the perfect play, the perfect pass. And sometimes he holds on to it too long. He almost, you know, would, would prefer to hold on to it and just wait for that to come about. Uh, and as I mentioned, joking about having Meyer teach him how to shoot more indiscriminately, which, you know, he certainly could stand to shoot quite a bit more because Eklund is, is just not a very high volume shooter at all. He's very choosy. Um, so I'm sure they'll work with that. He talked about Tim Burke uh, working with him on the ice and, and when and how to shoot, create more offense from rebounds, where to shoot, not necessarily to score, but to create other offensive chances, which is something Eklund doesn't do a lot of when when he does score or when a teammate scores, it's usually off a beautiful setup that the goalie couldn't stop anyways, but that isn't always going to be there in the NHL. Right. And I also heard that they want him to be a winger uh, and not a center in the past. They had talked about him being a center. So that is good to know if you care about that sort of thing, not that he couldn't play center and they might try him there here and there, but we'll see looking at hockey prospecting. His star potential was 51% in his draft season. That went down to 32%. He still had a good season in the SHL, which remember is a really tough league, but it wasn't uh, as strong as maybe some would have liked. His comps are all really strong guys like Eric Stahl, Mikhail Granlund, Jesper Boakvist. Um, but actually the guy that I picked as his comp was uh, one of his comps from his draft season. And that's Peter Forsberg. He still looks very similar to Peter Forsberg in this model. Of course, they're both Swedish, had similar strong draft seasons and then downtick in their D plus one season. Forsberg rebounded strongly in the SHL in D plus two and D plus three before he came over. So Eklund probably won't be in the SHL next season. He'll be in the NHL. So we'll see what kind of trajectory he follows. I looked up his roster percent at 42% and gave these comps over to our buddy Mason Black over at the NHL ranking. And the first one, Mason McTavish. 42% with William Eklund 
And we actually didn't talk about McTavish on the Anaheim episode because they have so many other good prospects, but he is still a strong one, of course. I think Eddie snuck in a, a reference there, if I remember correctly. Anyways, the uh, the PNHLE for Eklund was 31. Um, in his nine-game sample size in the NHL, it was 48. So a little bit muted for Eklund and 75 for McTavish in 24 games with the Hamilton Bulldogs there. So the votes went... 56% for McTavish and 44% for Eklund. Jesse, what do you think? Who are you going to take? You're going to stick with the voters here and go McTavish? Victor, I want us to remain friends. So I'm going to stick with William Eklund. I, I mean, you've, you've talked him up to the point um, where, you know, I'm, I'm a believer in this guy. McTavish certainly had a very successful first year, but I do buy into, even though the metrics are a little bit rougher on Eklund for his first season, uh, I liked what he did look like when he was over here. And I think that the situation he was put in was rough, just like you said. So I'm going to stick with William Eklund, ride or die with our guy, Victor. That's right. Of course, uh, some people probably would assume I'm just going to be a homer and pick Eklund. But I think that I, I, for one, I really try hard to not be that at all and try to be very objective. I, I do think Eklund has a much higher points upside. I think McTavish is going to be your perifs guy, though. If you have a league where it's you know more about the bash, then I think McTavish probably has uh, more better bash than than Eklund does. But in terms of points upside and opportunity, Eklund's always going to get those offensive opportunities. And defensively, he's no slouch, so he will earn his ice time. So, yeah, I don't think this is like a slam dunk for Eklund, but I do think he he edges out. They're both strong prospects and both should be in the NHL next season. So it'll be fun to watch them as they uh, compare and as they move forward. Of course, uh, McTavish was taken four spots earlier than Eklund. So there's a little bit more maybe uh, expectation for him. The next guy is Cole Perfetti. And Perfetti had a, had a strong season in the AHL and actually got some NHL time. The PNHLE, again, for Eklund, 31 based on SHL, 48 best on NHL. And then for Perfetti, it was 59 in his AHL performance and uh, in his small sample size in the NHL, 41. So kind of kind of similar, but a little bit higher for Perfetti. And this one went 55% Eklund, 45% Perfetti. So close, but flipped in the other way. Uh, Perfetti, of course, part of that 2020 draft class it was super stacked and so he went 10th overall but probably would have gone top five and a couple of the other drafts uh, around that area so what do you think jesse you're going to stick with eklund yeah i i will stick with eklund but this one actually is, is extremely tough um, perfetti made it to the nhl this year and uh, went out with the an injury uh, i expect that you know we've got our winnipeg episode coming up soon i have to see whether he comes up Again, uh, but I was very excited. I think I've got him in the league, and I remember when he came up, and I wasn't quite expecting that, uh, but had a, a reasonable performance in his debut as well. But I will stick with Eklund again. You know, another underestimated thing you mentioned that he might be moved to the wing. Well, that's good for us fantasy players. I would like to see him have that wing eligibility over the many, many centers that uh, otherwise are going to be more difficult to find starting spots for in my lineup. So I, I'm going to stick with Eklund on this one, Victor. You, again, you've got me convinced. And even though Perfetti performed well, uh, I think uh, I think I like Eklund a little bit more. Yeah, that's fair. I If I was faced with this choice, I probably would 
keep Eklund. Uh, like you said, the wing eligibility, the points upside. Perfetti is going to be asked to be a center, I'm sure. And he's a little bit on the smaller side too. Um, so, you know, that's going to be a little bit of a struggle being a center. But his 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 IQ and playmaking is so elite. I do like Perfetti and I, I might even lean him in terms of pure points upside. But it's it's really close. Part of it might just depend on, you know, team diversity. I think Eklund's going to get all the opportunity. And I'm a little worried about what's happening in you know, Winnipeg, are they going to, are they going to move some pieces out? Are they not going to have that elite top six that they've had for a long time? Wheeler's aging. So there's some question marks there. Of course, the same could be said for, for San Jose and their aging core. Um, and, but Meyer and hurdles should be sticking around and, and Eklund should get some uh, nice power play points with those guys. So it's really close. I, I might even lean Perfetti, but if I was faced with the choice, I, I probably would just take Eklund because I would love cheering for him, Jesse. And I, I have a problem with Cole Perfetti too. And uh, this is, uh, I, whenever I hear that name, I think of the song Lose Yourself by Eminem. You know, there's vomit on his sweater already, mom spaghetti, Cole Perfetti. That's, that's what I think of is that rhyme in my head. But that's not something any of you needed to know right now. Somebody you do need to know is Victor's need to know prospect. Who is it? Tristan Robbins is our need to know prospect and his fourth and final WHL season was, was a bit disappointing just in terms of, you know, taking a next step. Uh, He barely raised his point per game total from two seasons ago where he had 73 and 62 this season. He had 78 points in 62 games. He really wanted to play for the Barracuda this season, but it wasn't meant to be. Hopefully the CUDA will be much better next season. And a lot of these guys will be graduating uh, junior and playing there so the CUDA can be a stronger team. And we have a scouting report from FHL scout Danique. Uh, summary, he uh, likes his final WHL season, um, over point per game producer, leading offensive and defensively for the Saskatoon Blades. Had a torrid start to the beginning of the season, including being named WHL player of the month in October, 21 points in 10 games. But then the upper body injury forced him to miss time until April and in the postseason. And he was really not 100% effective after that. So keeping that in mind, what's good in his game, his his hockey sense is really high end. Great anticipation. He's crafty. He's a good playmaker, reads the play very well, uses his teammates effectively, problem solver on the fly. He's poised and calm under pressure and a surgical passer, threads the needle with with passes very aptly. He's not just a good passer, though, but he can shoot. He's got a solid one-timer and an accurate and deliberate wrist shot. He was beating goalies cleanly with power, um, not just power, but with precision and trickery. Dual threat, who could be a, a 20 or 30 goal scorer. He's also a really good skater, showing acceleration, helping win races uh, in the from and carrying pucks from the D zone or neutral zone to the offensive zone and proficiency establishing possession in the offensive zone. He's not going to be a liability defensively. He's someone who's pretty solid um, and and good at takeaways with his sticks, back checks, four checks, uh, good energy, uses his body to box out rivals, box out rivals, and creates a lot of offensive opportunity with a strong defensive play. What needs work, though, is his defensive play, especially along the boards. He's not bad, and he uses his smarts and body to protect pucks, but he gets outworked and outmuscled at times. In his two AHL games, Zanique saw that he seemed a bit rattled and not necessarily... Uh, getting used to being checked so hard and frequently and fiercely. So we'll have to adjust to the physical rigors there. <clears throat> so realistic projection for him. Danique thinks that uh, he's, his game is very translatable to the NHL and it's uh, it's tr- um, projecting trajectory upwards, which is good. 
overall, he's got a strong, you know, overall game, um, not a lot of huge holes and his upside is probably a top line winger offensive catalyst. Um, he says point per game potential floor of more of a top nine winger or center with a strong two-way game, maybe 40 points or so. He does cover a lot of categories, shots, goals, assists, uh, even strength, especially points, special teams points um, with, with just a moderate dose of hits. Um, and he's not huge, but has a sturdy frame and low center of gravity, which allows him to establish body position. Guys like Logan Couture come to mind. Uh, and he'll be starting in the AHL, as I mentioned, next season. So that'll be a big season to see what he can do. I, I'm not sure that his, I would say his points upside is quite that high, um, but we'll see what he can do. Hockey prospecting model has his uh, star potential trending downward 14 to 10 to 5% this season with a 50-50 shot of being an NHLer. His uh, comps uh, don't look super great. There is one that's nice, TJ Oshie, but I didn't think it looked that similar. Um, more more aptly looks like a guy like Philip Deneau. Now, I don't think that he's going to be a defensive whiz like Philip Deneau, but uh, more of an average points producer. I think that's a, a reasonable expectation for Robbins, uh, as Danique mentioned. So Tristan Robbins, 7% rostered on fan tracks. So I sent these comps over to our buddy Mason Black, NHL ranking. And he tweeted them out. So first one, Alex Bukaj of Colorado. PNHLE for Robbins, 42, just 18 for Bukaj. Uh, didn't have the the, the best season. Um, but who are you taking, Jesse? Yeah, Bukaj. <laughs> to say he didn't have a great season is underselling it. 12 points in 40 games in the AHL for the Colorado Eagles. He does have five uh, points in five games to the playoffs. So maybe it's turning around a little bit. But a very bad sign. Both of them are kind of the over point per game type guys in the uh, Canadian Hockey League, but uh, Robin's uh, looking a little bit better at this point. Probably not a breakout star, as as we've said, but I, I'm going to take him fairly comfortably in this comparison. Yep, me too. The next one is Mr. Morgan Barron, who plays for the Winnipeg Jets. Just got traded there from New York Rangers this season. Uh, PNHLE again, Robbins uh, 42 and Barron was in the 20s, both his NHL and AHL uh, between 22 and 27 for his PNHLE. The votes in this one went 56, 58% for Robbins and 50, uh, sorry, 58 for Robbins and 42 for Barron. So what are you thinking, Jesse? I'll stick with Robbins. I mean, again, Robbins, not a home run, but he feels like a solid single and that maybe could stretch into a double, whereas Barron, to me, doesn't seem like, even though he's he picked it up a lot this year, uh, doesn't seem to me to be a guy who's going to have NHL stardom or anything like that. I think he's just going to be a contributor. Star probability on the hockey prospect model down to 1% for Mr. Barron, whereas Robbins, who's a little earlier in the funnel, admittedly, is still hanging on a little bit better than that. Yeah, definitely. I'd be hard-pressed to pick Barron, although he is in the NHL. So, you know, if you want someone who's actually playing now, I guess that's one reason, but I, I, Robbins has a much higher ceiling. Yeah, three years ago, I would have said breaking into the Winnipeg Jets was darn near impossible, but as we'll hear in an upcoming show, I don't think that's true anymore. Victor, another guy who's already been mentioned on the show, is the keep your eye on prospect. Who is it? Thomas Bortolo. Of course, Bortolo went for a point per game this season at Michigan. 
And when they dismissed, uh, they were dismissed from the Frozen Four. He joined the Barracuda, put up three points, two games, and looked head and shoulders amongst, amongst the rest of the professionals there. Then he got called up to the Sharks, got eight games in, where he again looked like one of the best forwards on the team. Of course, that says a lot more about the Sharks than it does about Bordelow, but still, he looked really good at times. Sheng talked a little bit about him. And as uh, as we record this, he's representing the USA at the World Championships in Finland. And, you know, we had, do have some data from his small sample size in the NHL and, and looks pretty average, which, you know, is uh, pretty good for a guy who's just turned 20, uh, that he's uh, close to average of an NHLer. I'd say that's a really strong thing to be able to say. Let's hear what Sheng Peng had to say about Thomas Bordelow. I think uh, Eklund has an elite hockey IQ. IQ. Um, Bordelow may not be quite as high, but uh, really, really high still. And both uh, uh, both uh, that kind of hockey sense that they both have is going to help them, even though physically they're a little bit smaller. They're not like the fastest players out there, but they don't need it because they're, they're so smart. And, and the Sharks team, obviously this is a Sharks team with a lot of opportunity. And so will Willie Mecklen have the opportunity to step in and be like a Lucas Raymond and, you know, put up 50 points or whatever. And his, uh, well, it'd be a second season now, but, uh, his first full NHL season, I think he's going to get that chance. Probably, uh, the sharks want him, you know, to, to, to do that. And the same thing with Bordalo, they would love it. You know, Bordalo stepped in the end of the season, had a nice little, uh, stretch there as your, as your three C, uh, but, you know, he was a lot of his game still needs. I think it's very underrated. A lot of his game still needs ironing out, you know, like a kind of a Ryan Merkley, not as uh, not as problematic as as Merkley's uh, uh, kind of uh, uh, um, other side of the puck game. Uh, but it's still there for Bordalo in terms of just being uh, better puck management, not being so risky in the defensive zone with the puck, uh, little things like that. But he's such a smart player that can I see him kind of making that uh, making that leap uh, this uh, off season. I think I, I do see, I think, I do think it's possible. I, I, uh, I, I, he's not a guy that, that I've sort of written off in terms of having an elevated role at the sharks next year. Um, so I think they're, they're both kind of gambles though. Um, I think that Eklund does have a little bit more of a refined 200 foot game. And so that will more likely keep him in the lineup, uh, in the Sharks lineup in a top nine role. So you think he's a little bit safer than Bordalo that way. Uh, but again, the Sharks forward core, like we're counting like five, six guys that are for sure in your top nine. Uh, top nine has nine, nine <laughs> is nine forwards. So that means there's three really wide open spots there at least. And that's not counting injuries that can happen. Like what happened with LeBanc this year, right? LeBanc, I count in that, in that five, six, uh, you know, handful of surefire top nine forwards, but if a guy like that gets hurt again, uh, then all of a sudden there's going to be opportunities uh, for a guy like Eklund or Bordalo to put up points and whatnot. Um, so, uh, I would not, count on any of these guys uh, 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 stepping in being big contributors, um, but the Sharks are in a position, uh, you know, sort of lacking talent up and down their roster that they need to sort of count on it and hope for it. And so if you're kind of uh, uh, thinking about who to pick or who to draft, I think Eklund will get the better opportunity. And he has, a, again, a more complete game to stay in the lineup, in my opinion, right now. Um, but uh, Bortolo is also a very smart guy. And again, you know, what's going to happen with these guys this offseason, their training, whatever, can, you know, can they take 
uh, either or both of them take that leap. You know, the Sharks, of course, are you know praying that they both do. And maybe they will. You know, they're both very uh, talented players. Um, so uh, anyway, though, yeah. So Eklund's a little bit safer to me, but uh, Portolo is a legit talented player. You know, the ceiling that I've heard for him is sort of a high-end uh, 3C Um Maybe, you know, maybe, you know, I when I watch him, I can see a guy a little higher than that. Uh, that's what a scout told me uh, about Bordelow. But I actually watching him, I can see maybe creeping into the 2C territory for him. Um, I don't know if that's going to be uh, this coming year, though. So we also have FHL scout Caleb with some information on Bordelow. And he got to view a few games of him. In summary, says he's an all-situation center with elite hands and keen offensive awareness. Good tools, elite puck handling, smooth skating, and effective defensive player with a high IQ. Areas that improve, he can develop a greater ability to change the pace of the game at, at his level. Biggest concern is that he has all the tools to be successful. Whether or not he becomes a first-line player largely depends on how San Jose guides his deployment. His biggest strength are his hands that he displayed beautifully with saucer passes and uh, one amazing video where he one-touch pass between his legs. And I believe it was Brisson that one-timed it into the top corner for a really nice goal at Michigan. The potential under perfect circumstances is for Bordelo to develop into a first-line center, uh, and the floor is more of an elite third-line scoring center. Um, the NHL projection second-line center is going to be the Bordelowest uh, of his personal projection and a player that uh, that, he, that he thinks he'll achieve, and he'll more likely end up being an all-situation center who racks up uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of 60 to 70 points. Uh, he sees a lot of Ryan Nugent Hopkins in his game. So he's thinking a 55 to 65 point player with a ceiling a little bit higher than that. Who's pretty average for hits and blocks. Although he is very strong in the faceoff circle, I might add. So that is something that if you care about, you might uh, be extra excited about. I I'm, I'm excited about Caleb's report here and thank you, Caleb. I I'm, I'm trying to be skeptical and I, I wonder if it isn't if it is that high, because as Shang mentioned, I think he might have more defensive responsibilities, although he should be on the power play. So, you know, maybe he can get in that conversation. It might not happen right away, but certainly could see him hitting 70 points at some point. Uh, looking at the hockey prospecting model, he looks a lot like a, a few guys here. Um, Horvat is one comp. Um, another one is Martin Natchez, who, you know, playing for Carolina right now. Um, but he's, he's comping more as an average producer is Thomas Portolo. So we'll see how that works out. His roster percent on fan tracks is around 16. So I sent these comps over to our buddy Mason black at NHL ranking. First one tied to Landria Dallas prospect saw him in one playoff game. That was kind of fun. And he, he looked, uh, he looked, you know, creative. Uh, that was, that was fun. Bordelow has a PNHLE of 50 at Michigan and 66 in his brief NHL stint. So somewhere in that 50 to 60 range. And Delandry was a little bit muted at 36 uh, PNHLE. So the votes here went 87% Bordelow to 13% Delandria. Jesse, you taken, uh, by the way, if you, if you answer Bordelow here, you are signing off on me making border level puns for the rest of uh, our time together. You were 1000% going to get called out if I didn't get at least one pun. And I, I felt like it was almost at the end of the scouting talk that I finally got one. And it was a, not initiated by you, but you've recovered and uh, picked it up uh, at the comparison stage. So I, you know, despite, uh, I mean, he he played in the playoffs a little bit, Del Del Delandria. 
and uh, I guess uh, could have been okay there, but I, I don't know. I, it's a bad sign to me that the guy got 23 or he got 26 games in the NHL last year, only one this year, although he did get into a playoff game after that. Uh, I don't know if there was an injury or what the heck. I, I haven't looked that deep into his uh, into his track record this year, and maybe we'll hear more about him when we get to preview the Dallas Stars in a few weeks. But uh, I think I'm probably going to stick with Bordalo. I like him coming out of that situation in Michigan and and making it as far as he has so far. So I probably will go with Bordalo, and I will endure the puns as long as I have to. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I think uh, Rick Bonus is a big problem with the uh, Delandria deployment, um, but he's not going to be there next year. So maybe he'll get some better opportunity, which will be nice. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And I didn't even write that pun, as you mentioned, Caleb did. So I was very uh, I was pleased. Uh, you know how much I love puns. So the next guy is Oscar Olison, who is Colorado prospect. And the PNHLE, again, for Bordelow, between 50 and 66, depending on which metric you look at. And for Olison, he had 49 PNHLE when he played for the Barry Colts and just 32 for the Oshawa Generals. So somewhere in that 30 to 40, high 40s range for Olison. And the votes went decidedly in Bordelow's favor here. 89% for Bordelow and just 11% for Oscar Olison. Jesse, do you agree with that? I will. Is this a clean sweep where I took the Sharks prospect over the other one every single time this episode? Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. that doesn't seem right. But uh, <laughs> I I, uh, I, I, think it's going to happen. I mean, another thing we don't mention, Bokaj and, and Olofsson both listed as prospects in the Colorado Avalanche system. And I think that the San Jose system or the San Jose lineup is probably both going to be easier to break into in the next couple of years and more patient with the development of young players. So, uh, and Olofsson didn't exactly have a great season this year either. So I, I will, uh, I will side with Bordalo one more time. I'm, I'm all sharks all the time. This episode, Victor. We'll get you your, uh, sharks paraphernalia coming in the mail. Just, um, just yeah. mail me that Eklund Jersey of yours. Nope. 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 But yeah, uh, I would definitely take Bordalo here too. Although Olofsson, you know, I have to remember he, he, uh, he, we'll talk about more him more, I'm sure, in the Colorado episode. Whenever that happens, uh, if they win the cup, it'll be at the very end. But um, he he went the transition from the super elite J20 and then came over to the OHL. So a bit of bit of a transition there. Um, so there's there's some adjustment, but I still I, yeah, I like Bordelow better. Yeah, and then Jesse, we have a bonus report from our goalie scout Cam on Bed Gaudreau. I think a lot of people are probably interested to hear about Goudreau and, and uh, Cam's had a, had a busy week, but he was able to squeeze in a couple of viewings of him and uh, the, the 2018 or sorry, 2021 U18 gold medal game, a playoff game against Windsor and Goudreau between last year and this year has made some technical improvements during the year between these games. He's got a lot stronger and faster. There were noticeable areas of improvement in both his foot speed and skating between the two games and his crease movements became much more controlled he, Goudreau plays a good technical game and uses his size well, but what impressed Cam the most was his foot speed, athleticism, quick glove hand, and his compete level. He also is a confident puck handler, although I wouldn't say he wouldn't say that's an elite skill for him. The two games that Cam watched uh, were both high stakes, but he wasn't phased by the pressure and put great efforts in each game. Can't speak to the overall consistency 
just due to sample size, but he is able to compete with the best in the world for his age group and did not look out of place while doing it. He wouldn't expect him to be in the Sharks crease anytime soon, but if he continues to develop a similar pace moving forward, the Sharks might have finally have a future number one goaltender in Ben Goudreau. So that's exciting. And Jesse, there's more guys to talk about, but we don't have time. So I encourage everyone who wants to know a little bit more about Joachim Blickfeld, Sasha Shemilevsky, Brandon Coe, or Timmy Knyazev, Straussman, Adam Raska, sign up for our Patreon. You can read reports uh, from our scouts, watch video clips, and uh, if you're interested, and of course, the, uh, the the prospect rankings. And if you're interested in, in doing some scouting with us, you get some pretty great access to uh, Instat and some other things. So shoot me a DM on Twitter or on Discord or give us an email. Excellent. Great stuff on the shark system. Let's take a break and come back to close out the show. back for our last segment and that is just a couple of uh, housekeeping business things reminder that our show is brought to you by fan tracks love fan tracks as the best platform for playing your fantasy sports 10 different sports you can do all kinds of crazy things there hundreds of scoring settings three-way trades customized trading your draft picks you can do your drafts right now because they opened the day after the end of the regular season you can do auction salaries. You can make up your own auction salaries or use the real NHL uh, NHL salaries to do it. Uh, every minors player you're looking for is in that player pool. And if one is missing, you ask them. And if they have the documentation, they will add them. Lots of fantasy content at Fantrax HQ as well. Articles on fantasy hockey and the other fantasy sports. Not a ton of fantasy hockey content right now because uh, except for Victor and I, <laughs> other people try to rest their fantasy hockey content in May, but there's always some good stuff popping there, including other podcasts for baseball, the Fantrax Toolshed, the SP Streamer Podcast, and MLB Injury Insight. You can uh, also uh, do some other cool things on Dauber Hockey. You, you know Dauber Hockey. Dauber Hockey is probably the number one fantasy hockey site in the business, and we're, we're thrilled to be part of their podcast network. So you'll see new episodes of ours uh, placed up there on their podcast feed and as articles on the Dauber Hockey site. Everything you're going to look for there also. So uh, by all means, you're already checking out Dauber Hockey, but you should. Dauber Prospects is the sister site. Victor Nuno is an author at Dauber Prospects. He, uh, what are you doing at the Dauber Prospects right now, Victor? Been a little slow roll with all the prep for these shows, but I'm going to have some time coming up. So I'll be hitting some more prospects. Got Mason LeRae in the, in the, in the queue. Also Mark Lov, a college free agent they signed. So yeah, looking forward to digging a little bit more, but right now I've got Lee Sell and Jack Stednika up there. So definitely check those out. And I do a second show called dynasty sports life that deals with the other dynasty sports that is football basketball and baseball as you're listening to this the most recent episode that will be released is one i i I believe will be one about dynasty baseball and some prospects so you can check that out at dynasty sports life or dyn sports life but for the real twitter for the victor and me twitter you can check out victor's twitter which is probably the better one because you even have some cool prospect breakdowns that go up on twitter from time to time with some gifts that will be useful for people to follow particularly V-I-C-T-O-R-N-U-N-O-1-2 is the way to follow Victor. And you can check out me and the the uh, podcast 
feed at FAN, uh, FAN Hockey Life, Fan Hockey Life. So that is the Twitter follow for that. You can also do a nice thing for us and rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts or the podcast aggregator of your choice. We are much appreciative of that. We know some of these things go in the the Apple stores for different countries. So when you, you go on, if you're from Sweden, if you're from uh, Finland, uh, which we recently learned is Nordic, but not Scandinavian, uh, you might not see every single one of the ratings and reviews, but uh, they kind of get spread out across the different countries. And we are appreciative for every single one. We want people, we want our friends, our lifers from all over the world to be embracing and loving this content because Victor and I are here for you twice a week in the off season to help you all year round live that fantasy hockey life. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial, LLC, member SIPC.